Hello, everyone. My name is J.B. Hickson with NBW Ministries, proclaiming the clear, accurate, and urgent gospel message from my studio beneath the sky nestled here in the tall timbers of Colorado. It is Wednesday, July 12th, 2023. Thank you so much for joining us. It's time for our weekly world events update with my good friend and colleague, Randy. And uh, we're halfway through another week, and it's already been just a wonderful week. I appreciate all your prayers uh, for our ministry and for our family as we continue to uh, work on our flooding issue. By the end of this week, we should have most of the outside contract work done, the retaining wall built. We've already uh, installed the daylight drain and pipe uh, about 100 feet out down the property down to the bottom of the hill. And so uh, things are coming together. We're just thankful that we uh, we have a, a shelter to stay in, a, a roof over our heads. And uh, even though it's been discouraging and uh, costly, it is uh, certainly uh, great to know God is in charge. And there are people that have uh, much worse uh, situations to deal with. So we praise God for our blessings in the midst of all of this. Keep the prayers coming. Uh, we should have, like I said, the outside work wrapped up by the end of this week. And then we begin uh, the project of figuring out what to do inside with uh, sheetrock work, uh, flooring. Uh, and eventually we really need to get all of our belongings back down into the basement uh, so that we can free up the garage and other areas where we've kind of tucked things in the interim. So uh Appreciate your encouragement and your prayers. Uh, already this week, we've had some wonderful podcasts. We had two podcasts on Monday. Monday morning, I was privileged to have a conversation with Leo Homan. We talked about how close are we to the one world system. If you've not yet listened to that interview, I encourage you to check that one out. Lots of great information there. And then that night, Monday night, we did a theological roundtable from Grand Forks, North Dakota with a ladies Bible study group, about 25 ladies. And just some fantastic questions uh, uh, run the gamut there from theological questions to specific Bible passages and a lot about current events, uh, preparedness, the Luciferian conspiracy, those types of things. So uh, just a wonderful uh, discussion there. That was almost two hours, an hour and a half or so uh, Monday night. Then, of course, last night we had, wow, a power-packed prophecy night. I talked about geopolitical signs of the times and specifically talked about the coming World War III and how the Luciferians are doing everything they can to destroy America. And so I gave uh, four key signs that America is on, de on the decline. Uh, that was another great uh, prophecy night last night with some great questions at the end. Uh, in a moment, I'll bring on Randy for today's World Events Update, but then we close out the week. Uh, tomorrow, I've got Brad Maston back on talking about a kingdom like no other, life in the millennium. And that'll be great, I think, just to imagine what life is going to be like when the King of Kings and Lord of Lords comes back and sits on the, the throne, the Prince of Peace, uh, ruling in, in righteousness and judgment. Uh, we, we tend to uh, really get discouraged by all the negative things happening in this world today, where Satan is the prince of the power of the air and the whole world is under his sway, 1 John 5, 19. So we'll look ahead at it to a glimpse of what life will be like when we have a kingdom like no other. That's tomorrow. Uh, that should post by midday tomorrow. And then on Friday, we close out the week with a technology update 
uh, from uh, my good friend uh, Shane. And so looking forward to that one as well. But to kick off our podcast today with Randy, I just want to read a passage of scripture. Uh, Shane and uh, Randy and I uh, co- collaborate a lot offline week to week, day by day. And uh, I think it was can't remember if it was Shane or Randy that suggested we uh, take a look at Psalm 140. And what an encouraging Davidic psalm, Davidic meaning it was written by David, as many of the psalms were. So time frame is about a thousand years before Christ, give or take. And listen to what uh, King David prays and uh, writes as he issues what essentially amounts to a prayer for deliverance from the evil people in this world. And if we ever needed to be delivered from evil, uh, today is the day. So um, as a prelude to what uh, Randy's going to talk about here in a moment, let me read this uh, short psalm. It's, uh, let's see, five stanzas, no, five or six stanzas, uh, 15 verses or so, 13 verses. So David begins, deliver me, O Lord, from evil men, preserve me from violent men who plan evil things in their hearts. They continually gather together for war. And I talked about that last night at Prophecy Night. They sharpen their tongues like a serpent. The the poison of asps is under their lips. Keep me, O Lord, from the hands of the wicked. Preserve me from violent men who have purposed to make my steps stumble. The proud have hidden a snare for me and cords. They have spread a net by the wayside. They have set traps for me. I said to the Lord, you are my God. Hear the voice of my supplications, O Lord. O God, the Lord, the strength of my salvation, you have covered my head in the day of battle. Do not grant, O Lord, the desires of the wicked. Do not further his wicked scheme, lest they be exalted. As for the head of those who surround me, let the evil of their lips cover them. Let burning coals fall upon them. Let them be cast into the fire, into deep pits that they rise not up again. Let not a slanderer be established in the earth. Let evil hunt the violent man to overthrow him. I know that the Lord will maintain the cause of the afflicted and justice for the poor. Surely the righteous shall give thanks to your name, the upright shall dwell in your presence. So I hope that's encouraging to you. And uh, Randy, it's always good, I think, for us to sound a note of encouragement before we bring you on, because uh, you always tend to find those little tidbits of information that make us want to go screaming, pulling our hair out and jumping off a cliff. So uh, thanks for that anyway. But uh, Randy, welcome back to the program. How you doing? I'm doing fine. After that introduction, I don't know. Maybe I should go play some Disney music or something. I don't know. <laughs> well, no, Disney, that'd be even worse than some of the stuff you say. <laughs> well, but, you know, it sounds better, you know. You, yeah, I know what you mean. Yeah, I, I do understand what you mean, though. So, should we start at bone chilling, <laughs> nauseating, or are we going to live till tomorrow? Let's start start with bone chilling. I like that. That's got a nice ring to it. All right. First thing for today, I have an updated list of the anticipated nuclear strike places in the United States and the world. If Russia does begin with a first strike, which always possible, never know what to believe. But anyway, here is the list. Their missiles currently are 0.8 kilotons to 1.1 megatons. They do have bigger than that, but they are not loaded onto the missiles, fortunately. The fireball will reach from one to five miles from the epicenter of the nuclear explosion. 
the shock wave will continue on between five and 10 miles. And the radiation will be, depending on the winds, et cetera, anywhere from five to 10 miles also. This would be the severe radiation that would give you third, fourth degree burns and probably take your life very quickly. First on the list is NORAD, Peterson Air Force Base, Buckley Air Force Base, Schriever Air Force Base. And that is in beautiful Colorado Springs and Denver. Mm. That will take approximately 31 minutes from launch until impact. Uh, there will be somewhere between 600,000 dead and 1.2 million injured in the initial blast. Uh, there will be enough missiles blast to take out Cheyenne Mountain, if that's even possible. And we'll take out all the rest of the air bases. Um, we'll also take out Fort Carson. So if you're on I-25, Highway 50, Highway 115, now is the time to get ready to move. Second, off at Air Force Base, Omaha. Uh, basically, that will probably be a two-missile strike. Uh, 40,000 people will perish immediately, another 145,000 within probably 10 days um, that will vaporize the water in the Missouri River. And the only water coming then will be from the north out of the Dakotas, and that will be polluted for several years. Next, Elmendorf Air Base, Alaska. Fighter bomber base right on the tip of um, beautiful Alaska. It will be annihilated, and it could be annihilated, annihilated first because the Soviet subs could hit Elmendorf in three minutes. They wouldn't even have time to know an attack was coming. The anticipated deaths, and that would be somewhere around 40,000. Um, the ecological damage is hard to estimate. The wounded, seriously, critically injured would be another 40,000 more than likely. Next, we go to the VLF transmitters. Now, these are very low-frequency transmitters. They're based on the coast of the United States and Hawaii. And basically, these are used to communicate with the submarines. All right, first one. VLF transmitter, Cutler, Cutler Maine, transmit to the subs in the Atlantic. 15,000 dead would be upon impact, another 25,000 possibly more be seriously injured. Jim Creek Naval Station, this is another VLF transmitter. This is in Washington State. Uh, basically takes care of the subs in the North Pacific. Um, this would be a small catastrophe, although uh, still a catastrophe. There would be 400 initially dead and approximately 10,000 dead over the next 10 to 20 days. So let, let me interject on that. Uh, so given the projected uh, casualties, I'm assuming, because obviously the Pacific Northwest, especially with Seattle, is far more populated than Maine. There, It must have to do with where specifically these little transmitters are located. And the one up yes. in the Pacific Northwest must be in a fairly secluded area if the damage is going to be less, or the casualties, I should yes. say, are less than the one in Maine. Very secluded and uh, right on the edge of the ocean, just a mile or two off. Now, yeah. if they take out HARP, that will be a completely different situation with more fatalities, more injuries. Um, then we go to Oahu, Hawaii, Hickam Air Force Base, Pearl Harbor. There's a VLF transmitter there also. There are one million people on Oahu. This would be hit by multiple missiles, ranging in different sizes. Um, 
possibility of 1 million fatalities, depending on the number of missiles launched. Um, 76,500 long-term injuries. Um, it's not going to be a, a good thing because Hawaii would be isolated. There would be no help for them whatsoever. And, Washington. you know, the, the reason this is important, folks, to think through, and, and I remember studying this years ago from Joel Skousen's book um, uh, called, um, uh, the name of it escapes me at the moment, but Strategic Relocation, where he goes through similarly and talks about high high likelihood target areas, uh, is that, you know, as you do your preparedness steps, Obviously, if you're in one of these areas, there are certain things you need to be uh, aware of. Like, for example, you may need to have a more readily accessible bug out plan in case you're, you know, anywhere within 100 miles or so of a potential strike site. We're not saying that these sites are going to be hit. We're just saying that this is a militarily, these are strategic sites that the enemy uh, would likely focus on uh, when this World War III that uh, that Randy and I have both been talking so much about and that I talked about last night, that I talked about with Leo Homan on Monday, when it uh, happens. Is, is that a good kind of caveat yes. there a little bit? Okay. Yes. When we talk about a first strike, uh, there could be limited strikes on the coasts, of course. But the, uh, the prevailing thinking at this time is if the Russians, the Chinese, the North Koreans, anybody else is going to launch a strike, there are major centers they're going to have to take out or the retaliation will be immediate and they're going to go to a full-scale war anyway. So remember, a first strike is basically limited between 400 and 600 missiles. Now, these would be their ICBMs. This would be their tactical nukes. This would be the Poseidon nuclear drone carried in their submarines. Remember that the Belgorod carries 13 100 megaton submarine launched drones, or if you want to call them uh, uh, missiles, whatever. They can travel up to 1,500 miles at 100 megatons. It would be twice the size of any bomb ever dropped on the world. Mm -hmm. And these would create a tsunami between 200 and 600 feet high. And the shock wave would take out, well, they don't know how far the shock wave would go inland, but it would be devastating. More than likely, New York City, L.A., San Diego, Washington, D.C., Miami, those kind of places, Houston, that would be used there more than likely. Yeah, and and just to uh, give my perspective on that, uh, as I mentioned last night, if you haven't listened uh, to that, I encourage folks to go back and listen. Um, you know, having researched this for many years, I, I tend to align myself with the experts that say when this goes hot, they're not going to devastate the major population centers because they view the United States as a key, key land in their new world order system. And they're not trying to wipe us off the face of the earth like, you know, Iran wants to do to Israel. Uh, they're just wanting to decapitate us so they can swoop in and take over all of our resources, infrastructure, military, natural resources, those kinds of things. So I think there's a good chance that 
because this is so unpredictable and there there are so many rogue elements of it, things that could go wrong, you know, the Luciferians are not completely monolithic in their control. It's not like they can push a button and everything happens precisely as they want it to happen. I think it's certainly possible because of those factors that we could see devastation in major metropolitan areas. But I think uh, m- the more likelihood in my mind is they're going to target military centers, which of course will have collateral damage as Randy just read off uh, in all of those cities are going to be, you know, casualties. Um, but I think their focus is going to be military establishments and maybe even financial centers to really uh, decapitate us, bring us to our knees so that we're forced uh, to come begging for the new world order to subsume us. Please save us from this boogeyman. We can't help ourselves anymore. Please, we're happily going to join up with the one world system. That That's kind of the way I think, uh, you know, I see it going down. Yeah. The thing is, uh, we can know what the first strike areas are. And if things really went sour, they may go to that type of a scenario. They could even make it bigger because first strike also includes Washington, D.C., 420,000 dead, 861,500 injured. It includes the missile bases in Montana, North Dakota, Nebraska, Wyoming, and Colorado. There are 450 Minuteman II nuclear missiles there. Um, It would be about 65,000 dead, about 80,000 with terrible injuries. Uh, That would take out the 450 missiles there. Um, Basically, when you get into the interior of the United States, unless these are lifted off from the Gulf, it's going to take about 30 minutes for impact. So there is an island in North Dakota and Montana. There's nowhere to go. You are there. You're going to be staying there. If they hit it with multiple nuclear warheads, it's going to be over. Now, the main the major cities that they may target would be Chicago, New York, Denver, Los Angeles, Houston, and Phoenix. So this list has been upgraded. It does not include some of the other ones that went around there before. But within those six cities are 18 million people. Hmm. The anticipated death rate would be 30%. The ongoing severe injuries would be another 30%. The other 40% basically wish they had died in the initial strike, but also now listed in a possible nuke strike from the Russian Federation, Manila, London, Paris, and Berlin. These were added into the uh, first strike. Uh, So these were not there before, but they are now also. Millions of people live there. The, uh, you know, the Philippines are a bunch of islands, so it's hard to say what the actual fatality rate would be. Suffice it to say, in a first strike, more than 25 to 50 million people will perish immediately. And that's if it is a limited first strike. Hmm. may never happen. We may be the ones to initiate the first strike. Let's face it. The gentleman in the White House has no idea what he's doing. Um, I'm hoping one of the generals is carrying a lookalike bag that looks like the uh, bag they usually carry for initiating the nuclear weapons. But I hold it's, I hope it's like an old Samsonite like I got in high school for graduation. <laughs> Can't get it open and there's nothing worthwhile inside. <laughs> and then might have a chance. Yeah, I agree. And to clarify, I was a little confused there because I thought Biden was in the White House and, and you said the gentleman 
Uh, I, I, I never really thought of him as a gentleman, but that's another story. You never know if it's going to be him or Harris. Yeah, so, you right. know, and yeah, I, obviously. You know, I, I keep saying, and I, I'm being somewhat facetious here, something happens to Biden, who takes care of Harris? Yeah. I mean, let's face it, we got to go to number three at least, or our country is lost, period. Yeah, it's definitely, you know, Proverbs says confidence in an unfaithful man in a time of trouble is like a bad tooth or a foot out of joint. So that's kind of where I feel like we're finding ourselves right now. It's, it's you know, you like to have some sense of confidence in the guy in charge, even though we know they're all puppets, they're all being controlled by the Luciferians, they still uh, have some modicum of you know, of authority themselves. And, and you know, we've seen that again and again. I've talked before about how Obama, the, the first truly Manchurian candidate, still went rogue a few times in terms of the Luciferian agenda and did things that they didn't like. Uh, so, you know, regardless of our perspective that the, the White House is controlled, it still would be better to have someone in there that could at least, you know, walk up a flight of stairs, you know. Yes. Okay. Let's talk about Vilnius. Vilnius, Lithuania, one of the more important cities on the, in the world right now. I believe that th by this time they should be done with their little meeting over at NATO. All right. Mr. Zelensky is very, very sad. He didn't get abducted into NATO like he hoped he would. They said, we're, we're going to put you on a plan to bring you in. We're going to accelerate that plan. When I'm listening to them, I'm thinking, yeah, the plan, they'll think about it as soon as the war between Ukraine and Russia is over. There will be no induction of Ukraine into NATO before that because they're being attacked. We would go to Article 5. We would be in a world war the first day we were there. Not going to happen. Um, NATO did come up, though, and finally make a plan of defense for the NATO and U.S as far as if they are actually attacked. It's divided into three groups. One is for the Baltic and Central Europe. One is for the Mediterranean and the Black Sea. And number three is for the North Atlantic and the Northern part of Ukraine. So we'll see what they come up with with a big plan. Since they have no munitions, they're running out of money. Um, uh, this is gonna be, we hope we can do this someday because there's nothing there to work with. Yeah. Sweet. I mean, that that was, that, you know, that news out of uh, uh, Vilnius, Lithuania with the NATO summit was was very prophetically significant, I think, because as I talked about last night in the in sort of the drum beats for war and the setting of the stage for war that will bring down America. Uh, you know, it's no small thing that Sweden is now been given NATO uh, status and has joined NATO when you know, for I don't know how long they have been, you know, neutral. They have chosen not to align themselves with any, you know, military uh, allies, you know, in, in such as NATO. So that to me is significant. That's just kind of a, a sign of the times that people are preparing for what what's to come. And we don't know what we don't know. But then, you know, the real takeaway about Ukraine, in my mind, isn't so much that they were rejected for NATO membership. It's just the opposite. And, and Leo Holman wrote about this yesterday. I thought it was a good article. Uh, you know, they, they, the NATO has basically carved out a plan to get Ukraine into NATO. And so uh, you've got Finland joining, you've got Sweden joining, and then before long you'll have uh, Ukraine. Uh, that is essentially, if that's not setting the stage, I don't know what is. Do you agree with that? Yeah, I would say the thing about Ukraine, everybody 
everybody's going, well, now, wait a minute. If Ukraine's going to be in there sometime, that's going to go ahead and trigger the Russians right now. No. Basically, the agreement is after the war is over, we will set them up to bring them in. Now, I don't know what the difference is going to be because we're giving them all the money and every weapon right now that they possibly want. And I mean, for crying out loud, we've given them more than what the entire NATO unit has for defense. So we have bankrupted ourselves for them. One thing that was interesting, and I don't know if anybody caught it, but Turkey said okay to Sweden. Now, Turkey's pretty smart. Turkey is having some really financial and economic troubles right now. Russia isn't coming along as fast as they want because Russia has other things on the table. Now, they are making, what do we want to say, overtures to NATO, not to NATO, but to the European Union to be brought in so they can take part in the trade and everything else. Now, I don't believe that they're ever going to do that for Turkey for the simple reason they come out and said a month ago, Israel must be destroyed. Mm -hmm. They're also having problems with the United States and several other countries in NATO. They want everything and they give nothing. So this was their overture. Yes, we'll go ahead and vote for Sweden, but we want you to bring us into the European Union. Well, two different things. The European Union could take years before they ever accept them in there, whereas NATO is going to be more immediate now. Now, I am sure that Mr. Erdogan and Mr. Putin had a lot of discussions about how they were going to do this. Because Putin, his goal and objective is not the Ukraine. His goal and objective is to set up the Gog-Magog war. Now, whether the Ukraine would sign an armistice or a treaty right now is immaterial. Putin has the areas he needs. He has the warm warm water ports. He has all of the resources, the land, the coal, the natural gas. He has access to the Baltic and the Black Sea now from his northern bases and now in where he's at. That having the access into the Black Sea brings him over to the Dardanelles where Turkey, who is an ally of theirs because they have a lot going on, lets everybody in or out of the Black Sea. Now, Putin will be able to move his naval force out into the... um, Mediterranean, it will. So if things start heating up in the Middle East or he wants to go after Israel, he's now going to be able to go right into the Mediterranean with nothing stopping him because NATO's fleet is going to be ineffective. Yeah. And I like what you said earlier about, you know, it's almost inconsequential whether or not Ukraine is officially admitted into NATO because they're de facto already part of it. That's my paraphrase. That's not exactly your words. But, you know, uh, and it's not about Ukraine, by the way. Defense Secretary Lloyd Austin, as uh, Leo Homan pointed out, uh, has said, as have other uh, government leaders in America, that the purpose of NATO's involvement in Ukraine is to, quote, weaken Russia. So that, yep. that you know, our eyes are on Russia, which again is right out of Ezekiel 38 and 39 and the Gog-Magog uh, war. I really encourage folks to check out uh, Leo's uh, article. He's he's really uh, insightful in terms of his uh, reporting on uh, Russia and uh, and Ukraine. But you know, we've already sent F-16s over there. Uh, France is talking about sending cruise missiles. Uh, we recently sent uh, you know depleted uranium shells to Ukraine. Um, 
We we're talking about sending cluster bombs or, you know, cluster bombs to Ukraine, uh, which are really dangerous to civilian populations. Uh, all of these things, uh, Leo and I talked about Monday. Uh, and again, it's it's sort of a, you know, don't listen to the mainstream media when they act like the big news is that, you know, uh, Ukraine was told no. They weren't told no. They were told not yet. But it doesn't change anything. We're already, you know, defending them. And I believe there's already American troops on the ground over there. Um, I think there's some evidence of that, uh, though the U.S. denies it. What do you think? Oh, there are definitely U.S. troops there because some of the munitions and um, armor we've sent over there, Ukrainians wouldn't be able to run them. Right. See, here's where the Americans are the absolute dumbest people, I sometimes think, because here, OK, Biden says we're going to send cluster munitions. All right. Fifty percent of the world's population says they should be outlawed. The Russians used them in the Ukraine. Now we're sending them. If he'd have just shut up, we'd have been OK. But no, they said, well, why? He says, well, we don't have any other artillery shells to send out. You never give away your hand to the enemy. Yeah. I mean, he should just write him a note and go, here's what we'd like to do. Can we have permission now? Because. Yeah. Okay, so we're going to send cluster munitions. I will tell you, they've already arrived. The F-16s are basically in Poland and some of those areas. Now, Zelensky, God bless him. I know he's trying to do the best he can because he's no, he knows his days are numbered. We're not going to give him F-35s, and he's not going to get F-22s, and he is not going to get a nuclear weapon. And I like what the U.K. told him. And I believe it was this morning, he was giving the UK minister some guff. And the guy said, look, we're not Amazon. In other words, <laughs> you don't place your order for everything here. You should be glad we give you what we give you. And so Zelensky kind of, you know, shrinks into the little ball of worm that he actually is. But here's the problem. Okay. Three weeks ago, or whenever that was on that Sunday, when we had our special session. Everybody's going, oh, there's a big coup going on in Russia. This is, you know, Prigozhin's going to take out Putin. We said at that time, no, no, this is a false flag. And now everybody understands we were right on the money. So let's reiterate, Prigozhin works for Putin. Prigozhin had a three-hour meeting with Putin. He is now training the Belarusian army. He has nukes at his disposal. He has camps set up for his 60,000 people. He is waiting for the opportune time when Putin says go. Putin is stronger than he's ever been. The Russian economy is better than it's ever been. And, you know, Putin enjoys an 88% approval rating for crying out loud. Yeah. I don't, we ever had a president that enjoyed no. that. No, absolutely not. And and Homan pointed that out as well. But, you know, this Putin Prigozhin uh, theater, if you want to call it that, really is, I think, the perfect illustration for the fake left-right paradigm. And I've used this be illustration before, but it's like a wrestling match, professional wrestling match, where in the ring, the two wrestlers are going at each other, calling each other names, body slamming each other, just making fun and just look like they're mortal enemies. But once the show is over backstage, they're all high fiving each other and going out for drinks and enjoying, you know, they're, you know, hanging out with each other's families. They're the godparents for each other's kids. They're all part of the same team. And, and that's really what uh, it appears 
uh, to be happening with Prigozhin and Putin. I mean, we already knew, and you and I have talked about uh, the Wagner Group and Prigozhin for a year prior to them becoming a household name because of that so-called coup attempt. Uh, but you've pointed out many times, as have others, that you know Prigozhin and the Wagner Group, mercenary group, are on the employment of the, you know, the Russian government. Putin hired them. They work together. And then you have this alleged coup, which really amounted to a great big nothing burger. And then uh, and then shortly thereafter, Prigozhin and Putin are meeting again, talking, strategizing, and now they're working together again. It's just it's right out of, you know, the uh, the pro wrestling handbook in my mind. That's a good that's a good way to put it. Yes. Now, Britain is puckered pretty hard because the Russians hate them worse than they hate us. The British have no money. They basically don't have much of a military. Same way with Germany, same way with France. Bulgaria is afraid that they are going to be attacked by the Russians. And so they are getting nervous also. So, you know, NATO had this big meeting there. This is what we're going to do. The thing is, again, where's the ammunition and where is the money to stave off an attack? It is not there. Russia mobilized another 400,000 troops, 750,000 combat troops, 200,000 uh, support troops already there, another 400,000 being drawn up. Putin's going to do something, but I, I still don't know if he's going to be going after the Ukraine and Eastern Europe or if he's going to start pivoting to the South. I really, I, you can't tell yet with that guy, but he's got something planned. So the Polish have moved more troops to the Ukraine border. I still think there is a chance that Poland wants to move into Western Ukraine, keep that for themselves, let the Russians have Eastern Ukraine, the Southern Ukraine, and have a demilitarized zone there. That way the Russians don't have to be worried about an attack because the Poles would keep them under control. They would have access to everything they have now, and the fighting could stop. So. Next month or two is going to be really interesting to see what they do. You had mentioned the French missiles. They are already there, and they are on the uh, Ukraine fighters ready to be deployed. Hmm. Uh, they're also going to be getting A-10s and F-16s from the United States and NATO. Uh, bad idea. They're not going to know how to fly them, so it's going to be a mess too. But what we have, Russia is waiting. They're playing a waiting game. They have a good economy. Life is good. They're not sending thousands of troops home yet every day. So why move? Let it play out. Let them bankrupt NATO and the United States. The central bank for Germany is going under. They are put that they're going to have to have money infused from the government. So we have financial problems there, financial problems here, financial problems and riots in France. NATO is falling apart. Yeah, and if let me let me mention one thing before we move off of the Ukraine Russia thing. Um, it occurs to me that what we what we are couching or what the mainstream media is couching in terms of providing ammunition and military supplies to Ukraine could really be nothing more than a staging operation. We may be getting all of those things over there in anticipation of what our government leaders perceive as an inevitable war with Russia. And so, you know, there is the big question of why are we giving them, you know, these A-10s and uh, is the A-10 the, the Warthog or is that something yes. different? Yes. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. That's yeah. the A-10. 
Right. Yeah. Why are we giving them all of these things that they don't know how to use? Well, perhaps, and this is just my speculation, I don't have any inside information here, but maybe it's really just staging. We're sending everything over there because in the near future, we're going to be fighting a war over there. That's just food for thought. And that could easily be. I mean, South Korea has 1,155 millimeter artillery shells they could ship, but they're going, uh-uh. We have Russia too close to us. We're not doing that. Um, that makes sense. Israel starting to balk on giving them the Iron Dome. They're going, our relationship with Russia is tense, to say the least. So, you know, Ukraine's a mess. It's going to be a mess for a while. Something's going to take place. But we got bigger fish to fry right now. So moving right along, I see that uh, Manson's girlfriend, Leslie Van Houten, got out of jail. That's wonderful. She served 50 years, and she's probably as nuts as she was then. Um, this morning, I noticed I, a few weeks ago, we sent out to everybody a website with Homeland Security, which gave all of the details of the human and sex trafficking numbers that had been, you know, really broken down nicely. That has been removed from their website. Now, would that be because... That 14-year-old girl was found in that uh, barracks in Camp Pendleton. I don't know. But it just goes to show you this stuff goes so far and so deep. We don't have any idea. and We don't want to have any idea on a lot of it. Yeah, and we haven't uh, mentioned your email address lately. I know you get a ton of email, but uh, you've graciously allowed people to reach out to you uh, with the same caveat that I that I give, and that is that we can't guarantee that we'll always be able to respond. But I know in my case, I always read everything I get, and I do my best to respond. Uh, sometimes it may take a little while. We kind of flag them in a folder, and then when I have an hour or two, uh, I can just, you know, uninterrupted, I can sit through it there and, and reply. But anyway, if you don't mind, let me give out your email address again to those who may want to reach out to you. Uh, is that okay? okay? Sure. So it's R Mensa, M E N S A 57 at AOL.com. R Mensa, M E N S A at AOL, I mean 57, R Mensa 57 at AOL.com. Yes, and I'll make the same caveat. If you don't get a response in 15 minutes, doesn't mean I won't answer it. It's just that maybe another 100 of you thought about sending one all of a sudden. Yeah, and so, be nice, you know, be nice. Most of you are. I, our audience is so gracious and kind and asks great questions, uh, forwards great information. But every now and then there's the 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 uh, stray bullet. And uh, so be nice, be kind. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Randy's, just a, Randy's just a big teddy bear. You know, don't shoot the messenger. But understand this. I don't have a ministry. So if your email is rude, I don't have a problem in responding <laughs> in like so yeah, anyway, more anyway, old, you're more of an old testament guy eye for an eye right <laughs> yes or, or whatever yes that'd be a good way to look at it all right so let's talk about the important stuff let's talk about fed now all right we're supposed to have something 10 days so let's let's just mull this over because i've done more work on it uh it's a great conduit it's going to make transactions immediate um now, I found out some things I didn't like so well, and this is going to how they're going. This is how they're going to coerce us into doing it. OK, if you're on Medicare, you're on Social Security, you're on railroad retirement, et cetera. Anything a federal employee, they're going to force you 
to use FedNet. Now, initially, they have been um, looking into universal basic income for those that don't make enough money. And basically, uh, they've been trying this in six or seven different cities with various outcomes. But the theory is they may offer a little enticement guaranteeing you a certain income if you use FedNow immediately. If you don't, they're going to take that away. Now, they're offering in these other cities 1000 a month, 1500 a month, 3000 a month. They're limited to a year because it's a trial program. FedNow, it's coming. I'm, I have an account at U.S. Bank, so I'm going to know right away when they do this. And they told me it should be in 10 days. So then we're going to spill our guts all over here for everybody to see exactly what's coming. Um, the more I talk to them, the more it worries me, though. We talk about the CBDCs, and we also talk nationalization by the government, et cetera. I keep looking at our national debt. 30, $32.5 trillion now, plus everything that's unrealized. So we're up at $190 trillion. If they took all of the personal property, all of the commercial property and the cars, that debt would be zero. Now, the WEF says you will have nothing and you will like it. Hmm. All right. The BRICS countries are coming out with their gold-based standard currency by the 1st of August. There are five countries initially, and everybody should know, but they're basically Brazil, India, uh, China, Russia, and um, South Africa, Mexico, Saudi Arabia, and 41 other countries have applied to be members. That will give them over 50% of the population and over 50% of the gross GDP for the world. So they're going to have a lot of money and a lot of people. So what's the United States going to do? We're left out there with a currency based on debt. We're $32 trillion in the hole. We have no way to make that up. So either they're going to cut our programs, Social Security, Medicare, all of that good stuff, unemployment, or they're going to raise taxes to a point we can't afford them, or they can nationalize the debt and say it's all ours, but we're going to give you a universal basic income. That's it. There's a lot to talk about that right mm -hmm. now. That makes me extremely nervous because... The product, uh, Defense Production Act was enacted uh, a week and a half ago for the two metals that the United States needs that we don't have. What would prevent them from doing it for everything else, saying your bank accounts over the weekend? We just took that. But here's what we have to offer to you. Now, we haven't heard about the ESG cards or anything else, but they are still in the process of getting them as with the digital IDs and everything else. So we don't know a timeline, but it's all still active. So it's yeah. coming. That's, uh, you know, that's, I'm kind of always been the eternal optimist. And I mentioned even last night that I think that we're going to be able to resist on an individual basis uh, for, for quite a while before it becomes uh, something that is, you know, really forced upon us at gunpoint, metaphorically. Um, they're they're going to use the carrot before they use the stick, in other words. Um, but the sad thing is, if I can comment on, you know, some of these scenarios that you just rolled out, and you just, your last, you know, two minutes there were 
packed with profound information. I hope folks listen, you ought to, you know, click that little rewind 30 seconds a couple of times on your podcast player and and re-listen to what Randy just said, because we're talking about scenarios that would be, um, you know, pretty pretty unbelievable yet they've happened before nationalizing the debt would be huge uh taking your gold you know they did they've done that before whenever you know they need something they play wave the patriotic flag and said if you really love your country you'll give up all your rights or you'll give up all your belongings and that could be that could be huge if 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 we end up on the brink of a, uh, a financial collapse officially. I mean, we're already there. We've been on the brink for decades. Uh, they're just propping us up, they being the Luciferians. But if it gets to the point where they're ready to, to topple that house of cards, as I illustrated last night, in a, if you can, watch the video of Prophecy Night last night because I showed uh, a uh, short little clip of a house of cards with 12,000 cards uh, coming crashing down. And it's just a good visual picture of what could happen uh, in this country when they're ready to pull the plug. Um, but as they get to that point, what they could do, and I like the way you tied together the whole uh, Agenda 2030 and this you'll own nothing and be happy about it, is they could just say, quote unquote, for the good of our country, we have to confiscate all your debt, take away all your rights, take away all your belongings and your property. And so, uh, and the sad thing is, Randy, I think most people w- would go along with that. I really do. I think most people are so dumbed down in this country, uh, so dependent on the government, uh, so susceptible to fear that, as we saw with the great uh, scandemic, that people will willingly do things that are utterly absurd. I mean, I, I, can you remember all the people that were seen, you know, wearing masks inside their own vehicle driving alone? Or here yeah. in Colorado, we would go out uh, once they, you know, released us from our lockdowns, our house prisons. Uh, you know, we would go out to uh, places like, uh, uh, oh, I can't think of it, national parks and state parks and, and walk around uh, and see people out there in the wide open, you know, mountain air, you know, wearing masks. I mean, it's just absurd it's almost as if they said you know stand on your left foot and whistle dixie three times a day for a minute each time people would dutifully line up and do it and uh, so i think the sad thing is some of those scenarios you just played out we don't know if they're going to happen but they're they're sadly they're plausible they may actually get people to do them more easily than we might think what do you think well i think that's that's exactly right i mean look at our churches okay The Church of England now has a problem with the Lord's Prayer. They don't want to say our Father anymore because it's Father. Well, what are you going to put in there? God is a Father. He is not a multi-gender. I mean, he's going to be sitting on his throne going in circles, going, what is the matter with you people? The United Methodists, 20% of the congregations, 6,000 congregations have left because of the LGBTQ situation. I mean, really? The tail is wagging the dog for no purpose and no reason other than we are at the end times. Let's face it. People believe everything if it's simple and it doesn't take any work. And the church is going down so fast that what do you do? You know, I don't know. You talk about that stuff with a lot of your guests. And every time I listen, I just shake my head. And then I see Janet Yellen going to meet the Chinese. Protocol is you do not bow to a foreign leader. 
I think God says something about bowing to your fellow man, too, if I recall. My question is, if she would have bowed one more time, could have she kept her balance or would have she fallen on her face? (laughs) I mean, it was further every time. It was worse than Obama for crying. Yeah, I was going to say Obama did the same thing. And that's I don't know. It's it's hard to say whether that's by design, which is kind of what w- where the conspiracy side of me leans that there there's secret code language going on between these people, and they have an, a duty to show, uh, you know, homage to these you know Luciferians uh, in China, or uh, whether they're just ignorant and it just shows the kind of people we put in office today. I mean, we've turned the White House essentially into a circus freak show, and not just with Biden. Yeah. I mean, it goes way back, all the way back to Clinton, and it's on both sides of the aisle. You know, you get people in there, Republicans and Democrats, that are you know reality TV stars. There, we long ago left the age of statesmen. I talked about this last night, where people make you know elect, even if we presume that we have elections, which we don't. We have selections, but uh, let's assume we did. People make their decisions not based on moral principles of you know what's this guy's worldview. They don't care. They don't even think about that. They don't even ask those questions. They just want to know, is he a Republican or a Democrat? And that's all I need to know. And I'm going to vote for the the Republican. That's what most people say. And see, the truth comes out so slowly. Like I've mentioned several times, your ministry, a lot of your books, your minute, uh, your sessions, podcasts, etc. You were talking about COVID. You were talking about this stuff two years ago. Mm-hmm. It took the mainstream and the people two years to finally figure it out. Do we have two years left for the nation to smarten up? I'm of the I'm of the theory, maybe not. Yeah. No, and and I want to encourage people. You know, um, we uh, my my spirit of the Antichrist books have been out over a year now. The second one actually has only been out about uh, what seven or eight months. Came out in late October last year. Um, but uh, it is more vital than ever to get that information out. And so we do offer discounts if you buy a 10 or more copies. If you've got a small group or friends, relatives that you'd like to read uh, to, to awaken to this subject, give us a call at our 1-800 number. By the way, that's 1-800-895-1851, 1-800-895-1851. It's right there on our website. Uh, and we'll work out a deal uh, with a discounted rate. Uh, you, you know, and if you don't have the books, buy them, you know, get them, you can get them on Amazon, you can get them at notbyworks.org. Uh, it actually helps us a little bit more if you get them directly from us, but wherever you get them, just get them. You can get them from Jan Markell. I think she still has some, you can get them from Prophecy Watchers. They have some, uh, but get the books. And if you want to check them out, go to spiritoftheantichrist.org, spiritoftheantichrist.org, or send that link to others. They can find the entire table of contents there in each volume, including the subsections of each chapter. It's a wide a breadth of information about everything related to the Luciferian conspiracies. It's conspiracy. And even if a person doesn't really connect the dots all the way in the big picture, there will be something there in that book that will pique their interest <clears throat> in those books. And uh, they will then read it, and then they'll hear the gospel, they'll understand that it's a spiritual battle, and they'll understand the urgency of the hour. So I I, I seldom make you know a, a, an impassioned pitch for the books uh, lately uh, because we we we're, we're so focused on everything else. And I'm working on the next book, which is Spirit of the False Prophet. Um, but if you know if you'll indulge me, I just want to encourage people: if you haven't read the books, get them. 
spiritoftheantichrist.org. And if you have, help other people wake up to uh, you know the reality of what's happening by passing them on uh, to them. Okay, I'm done with the commercial. <laughs> okay. Now, the last thing I want to go over, I've talked about Project Bluebeam several times. I don't know if people remembered, if they understood it or whatever, but I'm going to send this out on our e on my email group. And if anybody else wants it, he gave you my email. We can do this. But a gentleman by the name of Matt, and if you help or contribute, whatever, I never use your last name because there are too many wackos out of this world. But he is a retired engineer. He and I talked about Project Bluebeam after we first talked about it, what, two months ago, maybe? So he decided he wanted to do a deep dive on this. All right. Now, I got a lot of stuff back from him yesterday. And he, I'm going to just give you a synopsis. We're going to go into it more next week because I believe that the Luciferians are using this or something related to this getting ready for when the Christians are removed from the world. Um, could involve a false flag, an actual attack or whatever, but here are a couple of comments and they just are concerning, okay? In the book with the Serge Monast, that basically wrote the book. Nobody talks about this, but there are seven different types of concentration camps that will be used by the Luciferians. Now, stop and think about it. We've talked about concentration camps. We have talked about that kind of stuff on the podcast before. When I was down in Louisiana, I saw one firsthand. So this is not baloney. This is the truth. He also talks about HARP. And he talks about the COVID vaccine, the graphene oxide, and everything else. And basically, HARP, the more I know about it, the more that, that project gives me the creeps. It does much more than just heating up the ionosphere. Now, look at all of the floods. Look at all of the tornadoes. Look at the earthquakes. Look at the hurricanes. Look at the everything that's been happening this year. It is active. Now, the Russians and the Chinese have a very similar program. It heats up the ionosphere, but it can also be used to cause earthquakes. So we're going to get into more of this later on, but I am afraid that what we talked about a couple of months ago is more true and more real than I even thought it was at the time. And all I can tell you is he has got this laid out. He has it, a timeline. He talks about the inventors of this, who was associated with it. And one of his comments are, could Harp be the ultimate weapon for the Luciferians? Yeah. Causing the weather, causing earthquakes causing volcanoes, everything else. And he sums it up, basically says, do we know if it is actually in existence or a project they're using? We don't know for sure. We yeah. will know someday, but everything is falling into line. I mean, with the COVID shots, with the graphene oxide, we talked about this, our first podcasts. Basically, when the 5G network goes totally active in September, October, whenever they get to it, I think you're going to see people, things happening to people you can't believe because it has set up structures in their body. It will cause people to do things you couldn't believe. And I think we're going to see that very shortly. 
But like I said, if you want to see what he's got, because he has his references, he has everything. This is pretty amazing because it starts back with Tesla, comes all the way to the present, who's in it, what's going on. And I got to tell you what, um, it gives me the creeps reading it because if in fact that is true, then the government knows everything about us. They can manipulate everything about us. And we are no longer a free people. You yeah. are being studied. Uh, well, let's see. Who was it? Google. Their new terms of service. You will sign it or you will not use their program. Basically said, you give us the right to use this with artificial intelligence. So right there, they're telling you this is going further than we've ever gone before. So... Yeah, I, I've talked. I've talked about Sergey Monast uh, before. I, I think I deal with him. Um, I can't remember if it's in the "What in the World's Going On" uh, or, or "What Is This World Coming To" series, or in um, the "Spirit of the Antichrist" DVD series. But uh, you know, he was a French-speaking Canadian journalist. Um, he, I don't agree with a lot of the ultimate way he tries to connect the dots yes. he kind of yes. he he was a big believer in the protocols of the elders of zion which has clearly been debunked uh but but absolutely his research on the new world order and how they're you know they're the the influence of the new age and mysticism which we would say is luciferianism and demonic influence uh, all of that is is very very powerful and he by the way he died in 1996 i think it was or 95, yes. uh, but under very suspicious circumstances uh, after I think they had taken his kids. I, I talked about this, but it's been a while yes. uh, on on one of our videos uh, after they'd taken his kids away from him after he tried to homeschool them. Um, and by the way, the 1997 film Conspiracy Theory, uh, the uh, – Mel Gibson character, I think it was Jerry Fletcher, is modeled after Sergei Monast. So uh, he's a key figure to know in your study of the Luciferian conspiracy because he really exposed a lot, but definitely the premier expert on the whole blue beam uh, scenario. So, yes. Yeah. So, you know, all I can say is things deteriorate every week. Uh, it will get to the point where we're finally as far as we're going to go. But Understand that God is leading us. He has a plan for our lives, and I believe he is going to protect us. And I definitely hope he comes back before all of this, because the more I look into this, we're going to get into this in the next week or two, how they're controlling you, what they're controlling as far as food, money, cars, homes, everything else. Um, what we thought was science fiction in the 70s is now possible in yeah. the 2000s. It really is. Well, Randy, uh, as always, uh, fascinating stuff. And I want to give our uh, audience a little heads up or a teaser, I guess, for next week. We're going to actually have two podcasts with you next week. We'll do our regular World Events Update on Wednesday, but then uh, we haven't decided exactly when yet, but Thursday or Friday, we're going to do a dedicated show talking about uh, EMPs. You know, that's something that is a key part of, I think, a, um, a cumulative 
uh, effort on the part of the Luciferians to bring down America. It's one, you know, sort of spoke in the wheel that they could use uh, in certain scenarios. And I get a lot of questions about it. I know you do too. So we want to just kind of spend some time picking your brain, talking about what is an EMP, uh, what are the likelihoods of that, how might it play into their plan to bring down America, and most importantly, what can we do uh, to prepare for such a thing. So we're gonna we're gonna start doing uh, hopefully more of those type of dedicated uh, shows that give people some solutions. Uh, but folks can look for that next week. Uh, later in the week, we'll have a separate show where we talk about uh, EMPs. And uh, I want to thank uh, Shane for suggesting that uh, as an idea for us to to, to talk about. But uh, before we close, let me mention uh, any closing thoughts from you, uh, Randy. No, it's just every day I'm alive. I look out. I you you're in the tall pines. I'm in the desert, and I'm going. You know, God created a beautiful, wonderful earth for us, and how we have messed that up. We I'm really gonna... have. Yeah, it really is amazing, especially in Colorado. You know, it's a beautiful area. You you see the incredible mountain peaks and the tall timbers and so forth. But every now and then I'll catch myself stopping and realizing, you know what, as beautiful as this is, this is what the earth looks like after God's judgment on sin at the Great Flood. Just imagine how beautiful it was before sin entered the equation. Uh, and someday uh, Christ will come back and make all things new. Uh, so we we certainly look for that. So I want to close out with two scripture passages. Uh, as always, at Not By Works, we're passionate about the clarity, accuracy, and urgency of the gospel. So I want to read John 3.36. This comes at the end of chapter 3 of John, where the first part of the chapter, of course, is Jesus interacting with Nicodemus, that uh, Jewish ruler uh, who came to him by night and uh, wondering how he can uh, come to, to be in the kingdom someday. And Jesus uh, reminds him that you have to be born again. And he goes on to explain that born again means to be born from above, to be born spiritually by trusting in him. And that's where Jesus says that famous verse that most people know, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. And then if you, as you go on, uh, at the end of chapter 3, John the Baptist enters the scene, and he says this, he who believes in the Son has everlasting life, and he who does not believe the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abides on him. I hope if you're listening to this podcast that you've placed your faith in Jesus Christ, the Son of God who died and rose again to pay your personal penalty for sin. Uh, he's the only one who can forgive sin and give life, and he gives it to all freely, uh, paid for by his blood, paid in full. It's a free gift, but like all gifts, it has to be received. And if you've not received it by simply trusting in him for it, uh, then you are still a child of wrath. The wrath of God abides on you. Uh, so that's priority number one, trust in Christ uh, today. And then for the rest of us, I just want to end with uh, a portion of that psalm that we read at the outset of the program today as a prayer Keep me, O Lord, from the hands of the wicked. Preserve me from violent men who have purposed uh, to make my steps stumble. And that's what we pray for uh, every day, for the Lord to protect us as things spiral out of control. Randy, thanks again for being with us. Thank you, everyone, for uh, joining us. Still more to come this week. Don't forget uh, tomorrow, I've got Brad Mastin on to talk about a kingdom like no other. 
Life in the Millennium, uh, and that'll be an encouraging uh, discussion. And then on Friday, Shane will be back with us to give us some updates on AI uh, and uh, the quest uh, for singularity and, uh, you know, sentience and embodiment and all of those things uh, that are happening. But until then, have a great week, everyone. We appreciate you. Let us know if we can do anything for you. And God bless you.